0: are you a quitter or a finisher when it's bigger than
1: yourself what's it going to take it takes determination perseverance digging in deep day in and day out it takes a tribe It takes hope and work in the plan. Because anyone can start, but few finish well. Do you have what it takes?
0: Hey everyone, welcome at each of our mountain campuses, and if you're joining us online, we're glad you're joining us too. Welcome to the second week of our new series called Grit. Grit is finding our courage to endure when life really gets tough. And to talk about that, we're digging into the scriptures, especially 2 Timothy, which is a letter written by the old, cagey, experienced Paul to his young protege in the faith named Timothy. And he wants to encourage Timothy because Timothy's the one who's going to carry the ministry forward. And I'm super excited today because I get to introduce to you a Timothy of Mountain Church, who's going to share with us today, and his name is Andy McNeely. Andy grew up right here at Mountain. This is his church home, kids' ministry, student ministries, and all of that, and and, and just like the Timothy in the Bible, it was his mother and grandmother and other family that were such huge spiritual influences on him. Uh, Andy went off uh, to college at Milligan College, where he earned a degree in biblical studies, and then he served for 10 years as a pastor to students both in Tennessee and in the Washington, D.C. area. But then, not long ago, God called Andy and his wife Janet back to Baltimore with a dream to plant a brand new church. And Mountain and some other churches rallied around them, and today that dream is a reality in the city of Baltimore. And you're going to hear stories about Front Porch Church today. Andy and Janet have a couple of little rascals, uh, very energetic young boys, Caleb and Noah. uh, But together, their family has experienced a good number of setbacks and challenges, which has given them a real story to tell. And they know something about the importance of grit in life and in ministry. I love this guy. I love his heart. I love his stories. I love his love for the Word of God. I know you are going to love him too. So let's put our hands together and give a great big welcome home to Mountain Zone, Andy McNeely.
1: Well hello Mountain. It's so good to be with everyone uh, this morning from our Abedin, Edgewood, Bel Air, and Mountain Road campuses and online. Uh, it really is a joy and pleasure for uh, me to be back here at home uh, where I grew up, got into a little bit of trouble, and uh, had a lot of fun and so I'm glad to be here. As Ben said, uh, I am a Timothy of Mountain, which means that uh, not only did I grow up here and come to Christ here, actually at the Camp Indian Lake Christian Camp, where I'll be this evening with all of my kids. Um, but I also was sent out from Mountain to be a youth minister for over a decade, and then sent out as a Timothy from Mountain uh, to plant the church that we're now a part of, called Front Porch Church in Baltimore City. I started reading this uh, book, this letter that Paul wrote to Timothy in Second Timothy, and as I was pouring over it this week, I recognized. Um, that Paul was really trying to encourage Timothy. And it was actually a really big encouragement for me as a church leader to just, and as a Christian, to be encouraged by Paul's words. And I'd encourage you to go home and read the entire uh, letters of First and Second Timothy. They're really short, um, but there's so much encouragement, especially in the second letter. And I got to thinking, uh, since I'm a Timothy, what might it look like If uh, Timothy himself had written a letter back to the church, what if at the end of his season of ministry after years of um, Working for the Lord if he had looked back and written a letter of encouragement to fellow Christians And I started thinking what if I wrote one to our family here at Mountain And so I did and so I want to share a little that letter with you all today But if you're not a Christ follower, this letter is still for you if you're not into Jesus yet, you're still Curious or looking into and asking questions, I think God still has something to say to you in this letter. So here we go. Dear beloved church, times are tough. I recall that when Paul wrote this letter to Timothy, he was locked away in a prison. And Paul had been there before. He had actually managed to get out of prison and had some fantastic stories to tell as a result. But This time, Paul knew it would be different, because this time, Emperor Nero was in charge. And any of you who know history, students of history, you know that Emperor Nero was known for slaughtering Christians in the most horrific ways. So Paul knew that his time was coming to an end, and he writes this letter with that edge in the background, with that fear in the background uh, that many Christians would have had. And he writes it to Timothy, who also at some point's Shirley was experiencing fear and timidity as he faced the same Emperor Nero in his work. And I got to thinking how I myself have experienced that fear as I've walked our streets in Baltimore City, how I've felt fearful for my life, how I've had experiences where I felt like this could be it. Um, recently, there were uh, two shootings in our community. Our community in Baltimore City sits on the York Road corridor. If you've ever been in Baltimore, you know that York Road splits the city in half, east-west, and our church is situated in the top 22 neighborhoods of the city right there. Uh, it's just a two-mile stretch, a little less than two miles. And on one side of York Road uh, is predominantly white and wealthy. Uh, it's predominantly higher educated. Um, folks are living pretty well. And on the other side of this little two-lane road, uh, our neighbors are predominantly African-American. They're living on a little, depending on which neighborhood, about $100,000 less than the other side of the road. The life expectancy is 11 years less on the other side of the road. And so you can imagine how life looks different in those two places, right? How my children wake up and look across the road and have questions, right, and how, The different styles and upbringings and different lives that people are living leads to fear. As it may have in your life, we are prone as human beings to fear what we don't know, aren't we? And so as a result, my neighbors on the east and west side don't typically know each other. And so it leads to fear of the unknown. But there's also a very real palpable sense of fear because of the violence in our city. If you watch the news or read the Baltimore Sun, you know that we've had 215 homicides in our city this year. And the summer can be a very tense time as students are out of school and as the heat rises in all of our 100-year-old homes without air conditioning, people find themselves on the street to cool off and violence erupts as people uh, find many reasons um, to fight one another but recently there were two shootings on York Road that really resonated with my family, really hit home. The first was a shooting a few months ago um, on York Road in the middle of broad daylight, um, just a few yards away from police officers who were stationed there. Um, The brazen, fearless nature of the violence sometimes is appalling and frustrating. It's sad and it's scary, but it was this time hitting even closer to home because that's a bus stop that uh, I regularly walk past with my children, that uh, we have partnered with other churches and had community days right there at that bus stop. Um, It's a bus stop that in our two-mile stretch of neighborhood, we drive past every day. And so there's a certain level of fear that rises in you, especially as a parent. then a few weeks ago, there was a second shooting This one hit even more at home because it happened on York Road again in broad daylight on a weekday, again with police nearby. This time, though, it happened on a corner, just steps away, the blood-stained pavement, steps away from uh, where I unload my children from our minivan um, and where we walk into an office where we have community meetings regularly. It's the same building where uh, our church and other Churches and other folks from the community are working really hard to just carve out some space in that building for our teenagers so that we can have a youth center for our at-risk youth. It's just steps away from where this violence is happening. It's just one building down from where my wife regularly joins um, our neighbors in urban gardening. And so you can see that fear... (laughs) is is rational in some ways, right? It makes sense to be afraid in situations like that. As a missionary in Baltimore City, I'm often overwhelmed by the immense power that addiction and poverty and violence have. Perhaps you've experienced one of these things or something else, but, but the power of those things that are from Satan, it, it has the power to shift your life, to change things for you, right? It just has this immense power to do harm in your heart. It leads so many of our neighbors to hopelessness and depression. And we watch as our our neighbors are just searching for hope, looking for it around every corner, some giving up. I think about that, and I think about all the reasons that we have as a family to give up, all the reasons we have as a family to quit, to move back home to Bel Air, to to escape. Um, these fears. I think about all of the other reasons we have, the anxiety that built up in me last year as we started to plant this new church and landed me in the hospital with an anxiety attack, the strangest feeling when you can't control your heart and you're breathing and things like that. I have plenty of reasons why we could leave. We're a part of a small baby church that just got off the ground, and the finances, it, for those of you who have started new businesses, you know that the finances are always tenuous. It's always scary in the beginning, and We're very much experiencing that. There's lots of reasons why we could quit. But somehow I was able to muscle through those difficulties. I was able to say, okay, Satan is attacking us in these ways. I can kind of get through that. I can muscle through that on my own. But then this year, Satan came in hot and attacked us in a way that I wasn't ready for and that it turns out I couldn't do on my own. I couldn't survive on my own. I didn't have the grit in me to make it through my wife being diagnosed with psoriatic arthritis. Now, psoriatic arthritis, less than 0.002% of the population has psoriatic arthritis. It begins with the skin lesions that many um, folks with um, psoriasis have, and then it moves into your joints. And within 10 days of the onset of this disease this year, my wife, who is an incredible uh, athletic and someone who cares for her body, someone who drinks water and eats kale for fun. Um, <laughs> she was debilitated and unable to climb the six small steps into our home. She was unable to hold my children. She's unable to perform her duties as a nurse. The job that she loves and that God called her to, caring for people, she's unable to do it. Maybe you've been there. Maybe you feel my pain. Maybe you can understand what it's like to get a diagnosis like that or to have some bad news just really slam you. And you think, well, I I got through all these other things. I can get through this on my own. And the truth of the matter for me was that I couldn't. In the midst of hopelessness and fear sadness and depression, the only thing that got me through, the only grit that pushed me and helped me persevere through was the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit showing up in our life in these mystical, spiritual experiences. I can't explain them any other way than to say that the Holy Spirit showed up in our life and reminded us how we were created, our family, and how we were uniquely positioned as a nurse and with our youth ministry experience. God made us the right people to be the missionaries in this part of Baltimore City, and it just became so evident to us that we were called to this place. and I remember my wife saying, we're going to die in this house. Sometimes we joke that we hope it's not sooner than later. It's a hundred-year-old house, and it feels like it's falling down around us, but we uh, nonetheless push through. The Holy Spirit shows up and gives us this strange peace that makes no sense. Peace in the midst of this violence and this pain and watching neighbors who are just struggling and have no hope. And it can be so debilitating to us and to our souls, but the Holy Spirit shows up and gives us the grit to get through, the perseverance to push through when we feel like giving in. Dear beloved church, times are tough, but the Holy Spirit gives us the grit to get through. I'm reminded of Paul's words to not be afraid or hopeless. In Second Timothy verse, or chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, Paul says, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God. Which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love and self-discipline. You see, God didn't give us a spirit, lowercase S, of timidity and cowardness and giving up. God didn't give us that kind of spirit. That's the spirit that we naturally have. That's when we go to our own power, rely on our own wits, or our own experience, or our own grit. But at some point, that spirit wears out and there's not enough left in us. And so Paul is reminding us here that God has given us a spirit, capital S, the Holy Spirit in our lives to come in and act as this incredible conduit through which moving into us, God's power now flows through us and out into the community through the Holy Spirit. It's a powerful, powerful thing to see. God has gifted us with the Holy Spirit, that we might have grit, that we might no longer have to rely on that old spirit, but now have a powerful, never-ending Holy Spirit to help us through. I love that Paul uses the word power here in this passage in 2 Timothy, and the word power that he uses in the Greek, the original language it was written in, is dunamis, and, and that word power, dunamis, is where we get dynamite from, right? It's where we get um, this idea of boldness and strength. And so when we talk about that type of power, everyone thinks, right, like that's the kind of power that I want. I'm on board with that. Give me some of that. Show me some of that. We have an imagination for what that type of power looks like. We look throughout scriptures and that Greek word is the same Greek word used to describe Jesus as he returns to heaven or or to earth in the future. That type of power, the same word used to describe the power of God seated on his throne in heaven, that's some serious power, right? It's the same power that's used to describe the Holy Spirit elsewhere in the New Testament, and the same power that is used to describe Stephen, one of the followers of Jesus who would be stoned to death for following Jesus. That's the same power that the Holy Spirit gives to us. And when we think about it in that terms of strength and greatness, it's easy for us to have an imagination for what that looks like, right? We have seen that, but today I want to take our imagination to what power might look like if it was exercised in love. What if the two were combined together? What might that look like? I think Paul is giving us some direction here with the way he writes. See, I've witnessed drug dealers and gang leaders and police and politicians all exercising power without love. I've seen that. I've experienced that. I've witnessed that. Maybe you've experienced that in your life. Maybe in your home you have witnessed power being misused. Maybe there's someone in your life who exercises power over you in a way that clearly is not coupled with love. But that's not the type of power that Paul is talking about. The type of power that Paul is talking about is Holy Spirit power. This type of power is meant to protect, to protect those who are weak and who are powerless. And then to influence and guide people on the right direction, on the right path, to give them and remind them of the purposes of Christ and what we were called to. That's the type of power that the Holy Spirit's talking about, that protection, that influence, and guidance. And that's the type of power that I've seen walked out on the beat on York Road in our community by Officer Henry. Officer Henry is a Baltimore police officer, pictured here in uniform. Officer Henry is a fantastic guy who genuinely cares about people, He gets out of his police cruiser and walks our streets. He knows names. He's heard stories. He listens patiently. He cares genuinely. And as a result, the power he's been given as a police officer, he exercises it in a much better way. And we watch as kids on our streets turn to him, sometimes instead of violence. We watch as community members, neighbors of ours, turn to Officer Henry and other officers in our community for help and for protection. I love seeing um, Officer Henry walk the beat. I love communicating with him because he is known throughout our community as someone who exercises power in a healthy way. Paul knew what power and love looked like. He talked about it in another letter in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 verses 4 and 5 where he says, my message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. You see, Paul recognized what we need to be reminded of, that our power, any power that we have, is is not of our own Device. We, we didn't create that power. It is coming from God and flowing through the Holy Spirit in us. That's where the power comes from. The grit that you have to muscle through terrible things. That type of grit comes from the power of the Holy Spirit. And we need to be reminded of that and to give God the glory and credit for it. You see, power without love is corruptible. Power without love leads to destruction. It leads to harm to other people. Maybe you've experienced that in your life. It leads to the destruction of your very own soul. When power is without love, it is able to be manipulated and corrupted. But with love, Holy Spirit, power, and love together will flow through us onto our streets. It will ooze into the cubicles where we work. It'll flow into the classrooms and onto the streets where we live as we do the work of Christ. Jesus said that his mission when he came was to seek and save the lost, and we are to follow in that mission to seek and save the lost, those who haven't found their way to Jesus yet, those who aren't walking with him, and we have the opportunity and mission to do that. And when you couple power and love together, you're more able to do that. See, power is this force that propels us. It pushes something. Power pushes, and sometimes in an indiscriminate direction, not necessarily in one way. Power has the ability to push, but love compels. Love draws us in. Love invites us with like this irresistible urge to do the right thing. Love coupled with power has immense power it's able to change and radically transform hearts and minds and that's what Paul is talking about here power and love together when I think about power and love wed together in our community I'd be remiss if I didn't tell you about Miss Precious Miss Precious is this incredible woman who loves Jesus and she loves her neighbors well Miss Precious uh, struggled for a long time and continues to struggle with the uh, for those of you who have struggled with addiction you know that it 's an ongoing life struggle and she continues to fight and battle through that and she is an incredible witness and example to so many who she works with every day. She also has dealt with the struggles of being a single mom of three children and recently a fourth recently uh, miss Precious was able to finalize the adoption papers and she now uh, is the mother of Annika, a two-year-old whose birthday we celebrated yesterday. Annika's mom was a victim of the violence in our city and Precious was very connected with the family and so it was natural for Precious to go and adopt this child to love on Annie. And although it has been difficult Being an African American mom with a white baby, it has led to many struggles and difficulties, many terrible things being said to her. And yet she still walks with love. She still interacts with those people, the same people who would say these things to her, she walks with and cares for. I watched Precious as she went and pulled people out of the gutter, as she's gone downtown to some of the homeless encampments and rescued friends who have fallen back into addiction. This is what love looks like, but it's also love with power. You see, Precious, there's a picture here of the garden that Precious started. It's this incredible uh, place where so much growth and excitement is happening, it, where burned-out row homes used to sit have been leveled, and she's received so much notoriety and, and excitement towards her recovery garden, where folks struggling with addiction come and, and work side-by-side side with her. It's a To grow things and to get their hands dirty. And it's this really beautiful picture, so much so that Precious has been recognized and given awards. She's been given tens of thousands of dollars worth of grant money. She went to school and became a master gardener and now has been recognized and won all these awards this last weekend. She was in Washington, D.C., receiving another award for the incredible work that she's doing. So she has great power because of the influence she has. People are looking at her. And each time you watch as Precious doesn't absorb that power. She doesn't misuse it. Instead, she shares it in love with those around her, and she points to the stories and the continued need for recovery. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Paul doesn't just stop with power and love. They're not the only two pieces that he adds to the third. There's a third on this list, and it is self-discipline. Self-discipline is what A marathon runner needs. Now I'm no marathon runner. You could probably tell that, but I I have run a 5K, and I have a neighbor who ran a marathon. So it's kind of like by proxy, I've run a marathon. (laughs) But uh, I I know that on some Saturdays in the summer, in ridiculous heat like this, I'll I'll wake up and I'll come out, you know, around 10 o'clock to mow my lawn, and my neighbor's returning from like a 15 or 20 mile run, and I'm reminded of what self-discipline looks like. I'm reminded of the amount of training and strength and self-control it takes to wake up in the morning and go out and run for these insane distances. That's what self-discipline looks like. It's recognizing that there is an end and you got to get there. It's what grit is. And it's what the Holy Spirit gives to us. It's interesting that Paul would mention self-discipline in a list with power, isn't it? Because self-discipline is antithetical to power. The, the two just don't go together. They, they, you know, are kind of uncomfortable with one another. They, they butt heads. It's not usually folks who have power who exercise self-discipline. And, and when you do, it's difficult. It takes a lot of work to do that. So I love that Paul mentions both of them on here because I think Timothy needed that. I think he needed the courage and the self-discipline, that grit, To get through what he was struggling with and i think each one of us need that as well well when i think about self-discipline in our community i i think of miss sandy miss sandy is this incredibly godly woman who genuinely loves our neighbors she has stood on the streets and prayed with uh, drug dealers and people struggling with all sorts of things countless times she uh, has made so many sacrifices to care for and love our neighbors she's so well known in every aspect of our community for her decades of work that we actually call her the mayor of york road she is so well known and and has reached such a level of power again through influence where every new thing that starts up in our community involves miss sandy there's an invitation each time to her so much so that she couldn't possibly be a part or on all the boards that she's invited to be on She's a person who's been given incredible power. She exercises that power with love and with self-discipline. I love that just this week on Thursday, Sandy and I were sitting together in a meeting with a bunch of other community leaders, and we were having this discussion about a topic that the only expert in the room about that topic was Miss Sandy, and I watched as around the table, 15 of us all spoke into this conversation, what do we think, what were our ideas, What might work over here while Sandy silently sat there just listening? That takes great self-discipline, knowing that you're the expert in the room and allowing others to speak. Miss Sandy exercises self-discipline in so many ways. Perhaps the most significant way to me is that she exercises self-discipline by forcing herself to take time for God, to listen to God. She sets aside time every day for prayer to hit her knees and to recommune with God. She takes time to be reminded by the Holy Spirit of of what God has called her to, and it's really a beautiful thing to watch. Someday I want to have as much self-discipline as Miss Sandy. Someday I want to love as well as Miss Precious does. Someday I want to exercise that amount of power in such a healthy way like Officer Henry does. Dear Beloved Church, with all this talk about the Holy Spirit, There's some questions that need to be asked. Second Timothy is a book that is a letter that is full of hope. The Apostle Paul writing from a place of seeming hopelessness, knowing that death was coming, knowing that his time was short, and yet he writes with such hope. He writes hope to Timothy, who was also in somewhat of a hopeless situation with the church falling down around him and with other struggles. So I can understand uh, why there would be so much hope wrapped into this letter. I love that each time Paul talks about hope, though, he attributes it to the Holy Spirit, to God's presence through the Holy Spirit. He gives credit back to God. The Holy Spirit throughout Scripture is referred to as many different things. Here's a few of his names. Our consolation, encourager, peacemaker, helper, counselor. Comforter. When you're going through a, a terribly tough time, this is the person that you want beside you, right? The Holy Spirit, right? That, that comfort and counseling, the helper, the, the shoulder to cry on, the arms to hold you up, the direction in the right path. That's what we want. And so the natural first question is how do I get it? How, how does one receive the Holy Spirit? Well, we simply follow in the directions of Jesus. Jesus gives us very clear and explicit directions and he shows us what it looks like when he himself enters into the waters of baptism. And at his baptism, we get to see God the Father send God the Spirit onto God the Son. And we get to witness that. And then we're told that the same happens to us when we enter into the waters of baptism, that we receive the Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit moves into us and acts as this conduit of God's power flowing in and through us. It's a beautiful thing. I love what these two theologians, Wass and Willemann, say about the Holy Spirit. The advocate, that's another name for the Holy Spirit, continues to plead for us to represent us to God in ways greater than our own ways and to speak on our behalf to God better than we could ever speak for ourselves. But at the same time, the advocate is God himself representing God to us. It's God himself revealing God to us in ways that we could not have come up with on our own. You see, the Holy Spirit is an intercessor. He is a go-between us and God. It's so cool because the Holy Spirit gets what humanity is going through. The Holy Spirit understands because it dwells within humanity. And so it understands the struggles you're going through and can communicate back to God the Father on His throne what's going on. And luckily for us, that mode of communication is not just one way. You see, the Holy Spirit understands God because He is of God and so can communicate back to us who God is and what God wants for us and the the joy that God has when we live in the Spirit. So why would I want that? Well... As if that's not encouraging enough to have someone be a go-between for you and God, Paul writes some more words to us. Paul, who experienced great suffering in Romans chapter 5, says that we glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. It maybe should say grit there, and grit produces character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. See, it's about hope. In your toughest, most terrible times of suffering, the Holy Spirit brings hope. Brings hope for a future. Brings hope for what is about to come. The Holy Spirit comes into us and reminds us of the hope we have in Jesus. So what's the point? I love that the Holy Spirit, my favorite name for the Holy Spirit is the Great Disruptor. <laughs> I love that. It reminds me of a friend of mine, Kit Dotson. When I was in uh, college, I was wanting to be a youth minister, and so I spent four years uh, volunteering at a church there, and the youth minister, Kit, before every trip with a bunch of teenagers, a van full of teenagers, he would pray for God to give us inconveniences. Now, if you have anything to do with teenagers, maybe you have some or you are one, you know that you don't have to pray for that with teenagers, right? They'll bring their own inconveniences, right? And as we all do, but he would pray for that. And the reason he prayed for that is because Kit knew that God was at work in each one of those kids' lives and that God is at work in our lives. But so often we're too daggone busy to be quiet, stop, and just listen, to what God's saying to us. I wonder what your life might look like if you would stop and listen. What if it didn't take a flat tire or a broken down van for you to stop and focus and listen to what God has to say to you? See, I believe that God is always speaking. He always has something to say to you, whether it's through scripture or other people or through the Holy Spirit at work in our bodies or in our minds, God always has something to say. It's just, are you listening to him? And when we figure out what God is saying to us, then the next natural action is to take action, right? Well, I know what God's saying to me, but what am I going to do about it? What is the action that I'm going to take? See, I believe that each one of us deep down inside has this Holy Spirit power line dormant in us. So many of us have this little spark of the Holy Spirit inside of us. And I wonder what it might look like if we were to fan it into flame, like the Apostle Paul tells Timothy to. What if we were to give it oxygen? What if we were to bring that flame up to a roaring bonfire? What might your life look like? Well, for starters, you would look a lot more like Jesus. If you're living in the Spirit, then you will look more like Jesus. And people will start to ask, who are you? Why are you living in this strange way? Why do you give an hour of your Sunday to go to church? Why do you give up your time and energy to serve at a church or to show up or take off vacation to go on a mission trip? What kind of strange person are you? Why do you love me even though I'm so different from you? Why do you care about people who are hurting If you're living in the power and the love and the self-discipline of the Holy Spirit, people will start to ask those questions and you'll be able to give credit where credit is due to God. That's our last question. Who gets the credit in your life? Is it the Old Spirit, your ways, or is it the Holy Spirit? Dear beloved church, I believe that your future is bright. See, I have hope. I have hope for my community in Baltimore City. I have hope for the city of Baltimore. I have hope for our country. I have hope for you in your times of struggle and difficulty because I have seen it, because I have witnessed it, because I've seen the greatest comeback stories in history and watched as God through the Holy Spirit power and love and self-discipline has radically transformed and changed neighborhoods and families and lives. God is more than capable of doing it if we'll just live in the right spirit. So we come back to that question, whose spirit are you living in? Is it your old spirit of weakness, your old spirit that will run out, your old spirit that will wear off, or is it the Holy Spirit who is an endless overflowing abundance of good things? I love that the Holy Spirit is referred to as a flame throughout Scripture. There's this imagery, this beautiful imagery of the Holy Spirit as a flame, and I wonder what it might look like if our faith became the oxygen to that flame. If your faith in God was the oxygen fanning to flame the activities of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit would then look more like the refiner's fire that it is, that purifies us and helps us to walk in the ways of Jesus, the Holy Spirit flame would look more like a lamppost on the journey with Christ instead of the light at the end of the tunnel. You see the Holy Spirit walks with us in the midst of our pain and suffering. It's not a light at the end of the tunnel in the distance. It's a lamppost right there with us, guiding us along the way. The Holy Spirit as a light in us that draws our neighbors closer to the feet of King Jesus. And lastly, that the Holy Spirit would become this light that one day will burn off the fog through which we now see only part, a glimpse of the kingdom of heaven. That one day the fog will burn away and we will see clearly the kingdom of heaven in our midst. And we'll get to recognize Jesus as the king over the new heavens and the new earth. That's good news. I wonder if we have an imagination for what that looks like. I wonder if we can conjure up some thoughts of what a good thing that will be for us. And I wonder if we can catch glimpses of it in our lives today and point to it and perhaps be one of those glimpses yourself in your neighborhood as you live into the power of the Holy Spirit and not our old spirit. I want to close with the words again from another letter from the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 15. He says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. God, we are so thankful for um, the fact that you thought enough of us that you would invite us uh, to be a temple for the Holy Spirit. God, that you would allow the Holy Spirit to rest on us, that we would become vessels of this great power and love and self-discipline. God, that is just inspiring and exciting to think that you think that highly of us as your prized creation. I thank you, God, for each one of the people listening to this message. Um, I pray that they would be reminded that they were created in your image, God, and that that is our identity. We should be known as your people and your creation. God, may the these scriptures uh, ring true in each of our hearts. May the great counselor speak truth into our lives and bring healing to our hearts and minds as we serve on mission for you. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.